These are legendary Pokemon, Molly. Lots of people believe in them, even though they've never seen them. And in this book, the artist imagined what some of them might look like. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the IWMP podcast, the Intermillennium Media Project. My name's Ian Porter. And I'm Matthew Porter. He's my dad, I'm his son, and I've taken over once again. The millennial strikes back. Yes. Although, this time, it's not because I was bothered by what we watched before. Sometimes <laughs> I've done this in retaliation. No, this is doing it for continuity. It's not a palate cleanser like it is sometimes. No. This is We Got to Talk About Monsters. We got to talk about creatures. Ray Harryhausen month. That's Harryhausen month completed, and I, I loved it. It was fun. But there's a, there's a group of monsters that actually have had a big impact on me and a lot of other people my age, and a little younger and a little older. A uh, big brand of these, and of course, they, they still have a lot of relevance now. Of course, I'm talking about the digital. No, wait, no. That's a different episode. Not the digital ones. <laughs> These are the pocket ones. I'm talking Pokemon. Pokemon. I finally get to bring Pokemon into all of this because, my goodness, this is a franchise that has devoured a part <laughs> of my being in a, in a way I never expected. But I think the way I decided to introduce it to you might have been unexpected. Because I've made my dad watch a movie. And I don't think it's the movie he would have expected when I said we were doing Pokemon even. Not what I expected, no. Uh, I'm I'm pleased with your choice, but it was unexpected. Because I had my dad watch Pokemon the Movie 3. Or Pokemon the Movie 3, Spell of the Unknown. Or Pokemon 3, the movie, The Lord of the Tower of the Unknown, Entei. It's got a lot of translations <laughs> and name types. But still, the third Pokemon film, which is, I think, one of the best Pokemon films... And actually highlights what I love about the franchise the most. I kind of have to explain what this movie is to me. I did see this with you around when it came to home video. That seemed familiar once we started watching it. Because mm -hmm. this, this movie released in Japan in 2000. It came to America in 2001. And was released onto like VHS and such a little around, a little after that. And we rented it from a... Uh, like a blockbuster or something, and watched that, and it was great. But my interaction with Pokemon was already a little weird at that point. I'd known about it well before a lot of my classmates. And why? Because of my dad and his collection of Japanese manga. Which means I got to see early artwork from this brand new thing that was getting popular in Japan that had this kid with a hat and a little companion Pokemon. It was called the Clefairy, and I saw artwork from the early days before Pikachu was even the mascot. Right, those were like the old copies of Korokoro. Yeah. I was using to, to practice elementary Japanese. I'm sorry, I, that, those copies messed with me in a major <laughs> way. My love of Bomberman, my love of Pokemon come from interacting with those. But I'd known about this, and then... A little bit later, there's a lot of talk about this thing called Pokemon coming to the Game Boy, the Game Boy Color, and everyone was really excited. And I never got the first ones. But I did get Pokemon Yellow, which was a little bit later. And by the time Yellow was coming out, a lot of my classmates and such were dying down on Pokemon. So I came to it late, but I came to it there was already a wealth of information that people had gathered about the first games, and I enjoyed getting what I could of that and applying it to the, to the second game they came out with and really enjoyed it and loved it and never completed my copy of Yellow, and it still sits on one of my shelves <laughs> with its battery dying and me stuck in front of the Elite Four and never winning. But then they came out with a second set of games, and I never got those games. And all of my classmates got into Pokemon again, and I didn't. 
but I did keep up with the brand. And so when this third movie came out, which is all tied into those second set of games, features a bunch of Pokemon from it, was a big part of it, I watched it, but I didn't have a connection to it as much. Skip forward to a few years later, they're coming out with the third set of games. And the third set of games I'm seeing in magazines and such. And I get excited for it, but all of my classmates and such are thinking Pokemon's a kid's thing, and move on. And I don't even get the first set of third games when it comes out. I get the second one. I get the yellow version. Again, I get Pokemon <laughs> Emerald. But I've spent the time with the internet more at my fingertips than ever, devouring the lore and the story and the information like I did the previous time about the games and all of the media and all of the franchise to prep for playing this new game. And in doing so, I rewatch Pokemon the third movie. And it clicks for me. Because this is not actually, a, this is in part a tie-in to our Harryhausen month. This is also a tie-in to our Lovecraft films. Because my goodness, Pokemon is dark and weird and I love it. It is. I've always appreciated that about Pokemon. It's this cheery surface over a really weird structure. Absolutely. And it's that part of the lore and the story and the storytelling and such. This kind of like the deep weirdness and the deep interconnection. Like you see the iceberg memes people put out where it's like the surface level fan <laughs> stuff. And then there's layers down below of the, did you realize how weird this thing is? And I'm down there on those lower levels saying like, there's explanations in the game for how they eat Pokemon and the Pokemon like come back to life and things like that. And I'm like, what in the world? I love it. <laughs> this is my sort of thing. But Pokemon, the third movie is absolutely I think the best Pokemon movie visually, it's also probably the best example of that thing I'm talking about. So I wanted to use this as the the crowbar to start shoving Pokemon <laughs> into the podcast. I, I am not surprised to hear the idea that this is the best Pokemon movie. I think it's only one of two Pokemon movies I saw. We did see the first Pokemon movie. We, You and I went out to a movie theater to see it when it came to America, and so... This was well before 2000. I don't know exactly when it was or how old you were. And I thought that was terrible. <laughs> oh, I thought that was, it was cynical and violent and anything I might have liked about Pokemon from reading manga or from any of the games was just missing from that first Pokemon movie. Oh yeah, that that came out in Japan in 1998. So by the point this out they released three movies in two years <laughs> but that one came out in 1998 it came to america in uh i think 1999 so that's when you and i would have seen it yeah and then there was a pokemon the movie 2000 which i've never seen and then this which i remember renting and watching with you and this this holds up i thought it was pretty good at the time and i still think it holds up having watched it with you again this week I feel like you could probably see this movie without knowing anything about Pokemon and be okay. I guess you would have some questions about <laughs> you'd wonder why the, what these things are, but you'd you'd it, catch on pretty quickly, I think. You'd you'd probably be confused as to why it slows down three times to have prolonged fight sequences, but and eh. they they use that to establish the idea of trainers and battles and Pokemon to go along with the scientists who study current and ancient and legendary Pokemon, they do a pretty good job of setting all that up in the first five, ten minutes. Oh, yeah. But I, we've got to kind of dive into the, the third movie itself, but this one I know that there's a lot of other people who like this one, but it's it's kind of weird because the f there's a fourth film and a lot of them after that, but a lot of people I know put the cutoff right after this one. So the fact that you're responding immediately the same way, I'm like, okay, everything's kind of lining up in that sense. And I did, I talked about how the, the first movie was kind of dark and, and cynical. Well, I wouldn't say dark. The first movie was dark, but it was cynical and violent and all these things. 
Pokemon the Movie 3 is dark, but it's a darkness that's earned from its story. It's a kid's movie without a direct villain. That's a good point. Which is really rare, actually. It's super easy to codify good and evil heroes and bad guys by clearly defining a bad guy. But by the end of this movie, all antagonistic forces have very reasonably reassessed what they're doing and shifted. And some of them are incomprehensibly interacting with everyone else, but also dealing with something out of their control by the end. It's literally like you started the ball rolling and when you decide to stop it, you have trouble. <laughs> and that's a narrative you don't see a lot. So I'm excited that they, this one is actually able to pull it off. I also kind of think of this like Miyazaki did a D&D campaign. <laughs> but that's a, that's a point I'll make later. That's a, that sounds about right. Pokemon the Movie 3 focuses mostly on, actually, I think more of a main character than Ash in some way. Ash being our protagonist from the anime, which I watched a lot of the anime in all of this devouring, both as a kid and in the re in the in my uh, my reintroduction to Pokemon later on, and Ash is bland as a character. I'll admit, he is by design. I by think. design, any young person uh, can project themselves into Ash because Ash is so poorly defined. If you're into Pokemon, you're just like Ash because Ash is into Pokemon, and that's pretty much <laughs> all he's got. There's actually questions about that at one point. Uh, whole Ash isn't a Pokemon thing. There's a weirdness I could go into. <laughs> this might be a Patreon tangent for us later. But the main focus character is a young girl named Molly. Who is immediately established as having... Like, Disney tragic backstory that then gets worse. Because she lives in a giant, rather empty mansion. With just her dad and her butler... And the constant bit of sadness about the fact that her mother disappeared. And her dad's job takes him away from her a lot as he goes and does Indiana Jones-style poke around the ruins archaeology. Since archaeologists are the, the billionaire rock stars of the Pokemon world. Well, when your local flora and fauna can breathe fire and shoot electricity and such... The stories of the things that were impressive enough to carve them into the stone walls are kind of valuable, I think. <laughs> and he does find what he's looking for, the magical creatures known as the Unknown. He finds them in their best form ever, magical Scrabble tiles. <laughs> and that's Unknown, U-N-O-W-N, right? Yes, there's no K in unknown. Because the unknown are not okay. <laughs> they are described as alphabet soup without the soup at one point. They have that sort of spaghettio roundness, and they are nothing but black Roman characters with eyeballs. Like, they are living comic sans. I haven't seen this many strange letters since the last time I placed a personal ad. And... The deep lore about them is creepy, the in-game utility of them is nil, and the only time they are impressive are in this movie, where they are remarkably good CGI for the time, and able to just teleport the dad into a trans-dimensional space and then cause everything else that happens. So they're believed to be extinct and legendary and they're gone, and somehow discovering this chamber with the magic Scrabble tiles wakes them up and, and much like an atomic explosion would a dinosaur in the Arctic, exactly. they become active and dangerous. Well, they do the thing that like a lot of Pokemon in general, if you are psychic and or a trickster, which usually actually happen to line up with each other, you talk about them. They appear over your shoulder and go, ha -ha, and then they vanish and the moment you see that happen, if you know any other Pokemon lore, you're like, this thing's going to mess up multiple people's day <laughs> for at least half an hour up to two hours running time. 
the moment you see that, you know it's gone bad. But they do that, and I don't know why the, f- the archaeologists say, well, your dad disappeared. Last time we saw him, he was in front of this box. So we brought it to his house. So his daughter could play with it. Yeah. She spills it over, spells out Mama and Papa, and suddenly they glow and start the CGI effects. Because they're psychic. And you have a little girl with multiple levels of trauma going on right now. And that's a great fuel source for psychic shenanigans. And she starts wishing people into the cornfield? She starts wishing the crystal field full of people for her. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I guess this is kind of more wish people into the cornfield, but flipped. Yeah. And she, like, conjures up a new family for herself. Yeah. Her dad's gone, and her dad used to play around pretending to be the mythical fire Pokemon Entei. So here's an Entei who kind of is your dad. And is voiced by the same voice actor. So you get a lot of very confused giant dog going, I'm what? (laughs) Okay, I guess that's what's going on now. Hi! He's kind of a combination of a St. Bernard and the fire horses from Krull. Yes! Entei. Yes! Entei is... For some reason, I think that... I keep on thinking of Entei as... Voiced by Nick Offerman. Dan Green does excellent here, but it's got that same sort of like bushy burliness, like, hi, I breathe fire. But he sounds a little bit more confused in this film at all times, and I love it. But first thing is Wishback, the dad that more recently disappeared. And I don't understand why she starts crystallizing the house. I think it's mostly to keep everything else at bay. I guess so. So we've got a person who has known tragedy and who has just lost her last remaining loved one. Who seals herself within a magical barrier so that she can live in some kind of happiness with simulations of the loved ones she has lost. Yes. So we're watching WandaVision. We are. We are. <laughs> oh, goodness. What in the world? We are. Okay. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Dang, that's a good connection. <laughs> we absolutely. This is Pokemon WandaVision. And that makes Ash and his friends the shield team, excuse me, the sword team who needs to break into set things right, supposedly. I guess. I guess they are. Oh, goodness, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do want to point out that I feel a little sorry for the butler, who kind of says, like, well, at least I'm still here for her. And the next thing she does is shove him out with everyone else in the crystallization and not include him in the family. Oh, man. Which is kind of like, ouch. <laughs> I've, I've served this family for years, and ouch come on <laughs> like but like the 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 fact that the the butler knows her and the the uh archaeology assistant knows what they'd been researching and they're both on the outside is very important because we immediately cut uh after seeing the dramatic crystallization of the beautiful town we cut to ash and friends complete with the narrator from the from the show giving a little introduction of them going about their day step by step ash misty and brock continue their pokemon journey wondering what adventures await them as they travel into unknown territory never suspecting that's exactly where this road leads and we get a much cooler version of the at the time current anime opening over our preliminary setup battle, which kind of shows you Ash's team and gets all the credits out of the way while distracting everybody with a bunch of, at the time, brand new Pokemon for the second set of games. And this is a pretty cool scene and is a great way to introduce everybody, I think. 
They make that first uh, Pokemon battle look so much more interesting than most Pokemon battles do, certainly in the game. They're not just staring at each other through turn-based combat. They're running all over a playground as they zap one another and punch one another. Not punch, I guess, headbutt one another. Oh, yeah. There's a lot more, like, spatial strategy in an anime or a movie Pokemon fight that never gets translated into anything of the games. And this is a great example, because they're, like, running up and down slides, and they're using things, and there's, like, a lot of mid-air tactical reassessment things going on, and it's kind of cool, but most of this was getting to show off all of this nearby trainer's team is brand new Pokemon, and that was the big hype thing of the... We kind of showed a couple of things in the second film, but the third film was the first one really rooted in the second set of games, which was really interesting and weird for me because I never played those and I never got those. I actually still never have played the second generation of games. So I never interacted with these Pokemon the way all of the other people watching had in that sense. These, this was the only way I'd seen them or, or uh, knew what they were for a while. And so I only had these bits and pieces which was interesting because when that's all you've got, you're not quite sure what half of these things are. <laughs> the colorful blob aspect of Pokemon does come through on things like Quagsire, which isn't got a lot of definition other than being big mouthed and blue. But we get our fight and then they go to go see the town, crest the hill and immediately get faced with plot of town in trouble. And we cut away to meeting Professor Oak, who joins in, and Ash's mom, who tags along. And that's important because the next step in Molly's perfect world is get a mom. Oh, I see one on TV. Instant kidnap time. <laughs> so now she's got her dad, who's actually a conjured projection of an Entei, and her mom, who's actually a hypnotized Ash's mom. Yeah. Okay. This is an odd, interesting little family unit, and they have a moment, but you've just taken a main protagonist's family, which means you're going to get a lot of really dramatic desperation, and then a lot of foolhardy rushing into action. But this is where the D&D campaign part comes in, because you have a giant crystal palace and a set of three adventurers with the individual unique skills which get utilized. And it, they've got to make their way into a central chamber. And this is where I get really excited because it's a journey. It's a journey into a, a base with puzzles and challenges. The first thing is the waterfall. And they've got to send Pokemon up who can then send ropes down to get themselves up a waterfall. And there's a lot of interesting like maneuvering and doing things with your Pokemon other than just fighting. I kind of wish there were Pokemon games that had puzzles like this to solve using Pokemon abilities. There have been little bits of that in places. There was like the Ranger games, which had something kind of like that for a moment. And there have been some more puzzly elements in certain games where having the right Pokemon unlocks things because you have certain ways of getting around things, but they're not very prevalent. And that's one of those, like, the movies and the anime are nothing like the games. Because the movies and the anime aren't restricted, and they actually think about what they're doing weirdly more than you'd expect. And I love that. I like anything that gives me a sense of a world being bigger than I might have previously thought it was. And this does a great job of that with the, the Pokemon world. Oh, yeah. And I do, I do appreciate that this movie actually has more continuity than it has any right to because a news crew immediately decides to focus on Ash. And Ash has now shown up in the second movie doing a major thing on an island that would be newsworthy. And in the anime, showing up in enough places he wasn't supposed to to probably be a little bit infamous. So, local guy with name... Like, vaguely local guy with name you might recognize goes and does foolish thing makes sense for a camera crew to actually <laughs> focus on him especially when they can't see anything about what's going on inside the 
the crystal-surrounded mansion. So follow the guy with the red hat who's <laughs> getting in there. And this is enough to snap Ash's mom out of it because she sees her son doing something stupid. <laughs> we get a lot of very weird, like, oh no, I broke my hypnotism, but I'm still stuck here from Ash's mom. And I think her character is handled very well because from that point on, she wants to be free and she wants to ensure her son's safety. And yet she's never without compassion for this little girl who, not understanding consequences and things, arranged for her to be hypnotized and kidnapped. Yeah, that's where it's like there's no true villain because immediately anyone who sees what's going on on the inside is like, oh, you poor thing. That's the that being the response because they understand that the kid doesn't know any better is great. So Molly and Entei, they are never villains to be vanquished. They are parts of a problem to be solved to no one's detriment. Yeah. This is a a story where everyone can make it out okay. And Ash and crew continue to fight their way in via challenges and puzzles. I forget where in this we get a cutaway to explaining why Charizard shows up, but we get Chekhov's Charizard at some point. Yeah, it's just Charizard's, uh, the Nerf reservation that uh, Charizard was sent to at some point. The Keeper's watching TV and Charizard notices that. Yeah, they had to get rid of him in the anime because Ash having a Charizard got too powerful. (laughs) It was, okay, any problem If the answer is just Charizard, we can't keep writing. So Charizard, like, goes into retirement. He gets his big, like, exhibition match starring role and then leaves the game. (laughs) But they wanted him for this movie, so they've got to bring him back in for a moment. So we get a little cutaway there. And he shows up for the big climactic final battle. But Ash works his way in. And then we get, I think, the weirdest bits, which are the two big Pokemon fights against Molly, with Ash and Misty each taking her on in fights to distract her. Because Molly gets whatever she wants, and when she sees Ash with these Pokemon, she realizes, oh, that looks like fun, I want to be a Pokemon trainer, so suddenly she's got all the Pokemon she needs. Yeah, it's like, okay, suddenly, here's an astral projection version of you. Made out of the same crystal-y stuff that then turns solid so that you can be over there in two places at once. And suddenly she's like somewhere between six and ten years older because, well, maybe I can be a Pokemon trainer when I'm older. Poof, you're older. Yeah. And there's a lot of really creep. This is where, like, altering reality and crystallizing an entire town in a very lava flow volcano-y kind of way is already a little creepy when she starts like throwing out Pokemon that are immediately made out of this psychic crystal saying how much she loves them. And then the moment she switches to a new Pokemon, you watch the one she just was hugging melt into the floor. It's one (laughs) of the creepiest bits of animation they do. Very creepy. It's like, I love my Teddy Ursa. Go this it just turns into goo and i'm like oh no that's no (laughs) why pokemon don't die that's actually a key part of the story there's never any well there's implications of dead pokemon and there are current pokemon that get knocked out but there's never you killed a pokemon and this is the closest to watching a Pokemon die I think we ever see. So Pokemon death is like the speed of light. Yeah. You cannot accelerate to the speed of light. In theory, things can travel faster than the speed of light. So yeah. Pokemon can be dead, <laughs> but Pokemon cannot die. Exactly. Okay. That, that's, the, that's, a, that's the best explanation for it I've ever heard. Because <laughs> they'll have a cemetery in the games or in a story for pathos. <laughs> But you can hit a Pokemon through three brick walls, and it'll have circles in its eyes, be thrown back into a ball, and it'll be okay as long as you can get to the free healthcare that is Pokemon Centers. (laughs) So yeah, she just melts her Pokemon when she doesn't need them. In a very childish, I'm not playing with this toy right now. 
That means it's totally forgotten. It means it's totally forgotten. And when you've just implied this thing might have some vague form of separate sentience. That's, I guess, the only thing I wasn't sure about. Were these Pokemon that she was conjuring through this, were they mere projections or did they have some kind of sentience or consciousness? That's... I guess if they didn't, then maybe the Entei she conjured didn't either, and that certainly seemed like it did. This is where Pokemon is great for that fridge logic, like <laughs> you've played through the game or you've watched the movie and you're going to get a drink later, and you just say, wait a minute, what? How? No. Like, it's there's all these sorts of instances that you can just fall down the rabbit hole of where Pokemon is really weird. And that's what I love about this, because this is what this movie did to me so much. (laughs) But we get two big Pokemon battles. These have a lot of the cool effects, a lot of the Pokemon you know and love from the show popping up and brand new fights and challenges. And these are also interspersed with some of the best lines from the show stealers of this entire film, Team Rocket. In some ways, the show stealers of all of Pokemon. Of all of Pokemon. Team Rocket is very aware of the fact that they're in a movie in this one. Now, why was Team Rocket even there? Did they want to get in and get their hands on Entei or something? They they kind of state early on, like, Wow, that's weird. That must mean something powerful's causing it. Let's steal whatever that is. Oh, okay. And they kind of immediately get, like, they they float in on their balloon, get shot down, and it's brilliantly just pan over to the news crew saying, a local hot air balloon just got shot down for violating this crystal structure's airspace. It seems this is more dangerous than we thought. <laughs> it's like, um... Okay. Okay. <laughs> the news crew is just checking those people as a loss off the list. Okay, then. My goodness. Not high on their, their set of concerns. No. But you're right, there's no fourth wall when it comes to Team Rocket. About halfway through the second movie, Team Rocket, like, has a revelation about their, like, place in the narrative and (laughs) actually pulls one of the most amazing moments in the second film. And the third is just coasting off that same momentum of the, like, I think we're here to help Ash and crew. And when asked about that at one point, they literally say, because if anything happens to you, there's no more films for us. <laughs> there is no fourth wall. And they've just like directly called out the contract writers and it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, here they're asking, you know, maybe we'll get a bigger part of the next movie. Exactly. Or giving the strangest line when they're the first people to see the unknown and give us a chance to show more cgi of this twisting ball of characters and letters humming the creepiest tune ever very i want that as a i want that as a ringtone though just the oh no just them (laughs) they they do the pokemon thing of saying their own name but it's in this sing-song like tritone that Sends a shiver down your spine. That is a perfect ringtone because you could have special ringtones for everybody in your contacts <laughs> list. And for anybody who's not, not in your contacts, contacts list, list, they get. Exactly. I, that's what I want. I need to pull this audio. I like that. But there's a lot of twisting ball of unknown spinning around a circle of psychic energy. It as- very much portal into the world of the Elder Gods kind of look. Oh yeah, this this is this is a living summoning circle going on as they continue <laughs> to crystallize the environment around them and create spaces that are bigger on the inside and that defy the laws of physics with floating crystal staircases and breathable underwater rooms and things like that. Molly's dad was not a professor at Miskatonic University, was he? I don't know. He might as well he have might been. have been. I'm amazed that Miskatonic isn't a Pokemon name. <laughs> Psychic dark type. There was a reference to um, Cyndaquil at one point. Yes. Like, uh, Ash uses that. And that reminded me of the old stuff that was going on around the internet years ago. Uh, Pokemon or prescription medication? <laughs> yes. I love those quizzes. Oh, yes. From the makers of Cyndaquil come. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm trying to think of a good one on that one. Blissy. <laughs> that actually sounds very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that sounds more like a street name. <laughs> that sounds like a street than, uh, name. a prescription name. Oh, yeah. But we finally get the, f- the big confrontation where Ash gets up there and kind of shouts down Molly about the, like, please, you've got to stop this. And immediately Molly's response is, of course, sick ente. Yeah, I've got to stop what? I've got to stop having a mom and dad? Why? Why? Go fire dad, kill him. (laughs) Um, okay. And ente is a legendary Pokemon in the games and such. So he's strong. His breath weapon doesn't just burn things. It stops and then explodes things. <laughs> and so there's a really big fight scene here, which kind of gives everyone time to gather up in the top chamber and watch the fight happen. Gives Charizard something to do. Which is swoop down dramatically and fight fire with fire. Literally. But giant fight scene, which is an- probably one of the other really cool moments as they jump around crystal spires and... Dodge giant spikes. And everything gets way more chaotic. And maybe it was just the mood I was in, but a lot of those final battles reminded me of Krull as well. Yeah, there is something... It finally made it into the the fortress. This is a very Krull-like film. This is extremely Krull-like. But they finally made it in, they finally have the big fight, and they convince Molly that this isn't real. And that... Even after all the fighting has died down, the people can be nice. And they want her to have the real thing, because the real thing is more than the fake that she's building. And they convince her, but you've just severed the thing that's giving structure and order to this psychic projection. You've changed its mind, and the psychic projection is not having that. Because all of the energy the unknown have poured into this thing goes awry. And now it's everybody out of the place. Because it's going down. Because it's not now that the unknown is not receiving psychic orders from Molly, that doesn't mean the unknown's just going to stop and go away. No. Molly had a load-bearing psyche right now, <laughs> and you have just removed it from the structure. So Everything goes wrong. The animation for the unknown gets sped up by like three times to make it look way more chaotic. And everyone has to get out of there, which they do successfully. And the movie does kind of just wrap itself up there in some ways. I feel like the ending is a little hurried in that sense. They spent a lot of time on their fight scenes. They spent a lot less on their escape. Yeah, they do. They sort of rush through that escape, and then it's, oh, we survived. And the, the few remaining loose ends are just wrapped up in the under-the-credits sequence. Great job! Everything's back to normal! But the under-the-credits sequence has one of the biggest, craziest wrap-ups ever. Not only do we end the film with the unknown zipping themselves back into their little dimension, but dropping her dad out of said dimension back on the floor where they found him in the most silly bit of animation, I think, in the whole film. Apparently, they just kind of pulled him in to watch the place while they escaped from wherever they had been in the beyond. He's unintentionally house-sitting for them. <laughs> but yeah, the animation of him tumbling out of this was just... I think he described it looking like one of the Tracy siblings just had his puppet strings cut. Yes, it's just yes. Like, flop. <laughs> Hits the ground. You can almost hear a clatter when it does... But under the credits, we get the the taxi pulling up and the heartfelt reunion between Molly and her dad. And then, like, it cuts to later at some point, and Molly actually has a Pokemon now she's playing with. And the mom shows back up. I guess the mom was just whisked away somewhere by unknown. Yeah, it's like, where have you been? I guess... I guess you were in there. They never explain what the mom did. If she was an archaeologist like the dad, they never explain how she disappeared. She just disappeared. And so she gets back both. It ac- This is a movie that, that ends with a character more than it started. <laughs> in a way that I didn't expect. 
but it's really weird, and I get the feeling like it was a mandate somewhere. It is kind of, given the the target age and audience of the movie, you want it to have a very happy ending, and you know I can understand why they did that and why they why they decided to do that. I don't know why they rushed that as much as they had to, except that they had, I guess, limited running time. Yeah. Pokemon Company, you're working with WB. We can't be Disney. The mom has to reappear. She can't stay missing. <laughs> That's Disney's thing. And Ash just kind of goes about his business. He's just, my mom's back. My Pokemon have gone through an ordeal with me. Charizard went back to his retirement home. I guess the next film is what we go to next. Ash is like David Banner. He just wanders from town to town, gets into huge, impressive fights, and then solves people's problems with sometimes with fighting, sometimes with wisdom, and then uh, wanders off to the next episode and town. Yeah, he he really does. He's just a. I, I'm amazed that the uh, towns don't start like bracing for impact when they see Ash shows up because he just shows up. <laughs> things go awry and by the time he leaves they're all fixed but it's gonna be a little awkward for the midpoint <laughs> oh and anybody who's calling me on on david banner and not bruce banner i'll link to our episode about incredible hulk tv series oh yeah this is he was david bruce banner there absolutely yeah it, it's very much tv hulk in that sense right but that's the entire film when you break it down it's not too complex but it's a really, really beautiful film, I think, in terms of its art. It's got a lot of... It's not just showing off the Pokemon. There's a lot of really interesting scene work they do. There, There is. I think, it's, I think they did use... And they judiciously, but they did use a fair amount of CGI and knew where it worked at the time and where it didn't. But yeah, it's very rich animation for a Pokemon property of almost 20 years ago. Yeah. This is, this is like, they, they lean in on a lot more CGI stuff in later things, and it never looks as good as it does here. This is this right blend, I think. I'm starting to get into my final things, but I've been kind of just blatant about that this entire episode. But it's a very interesting art style because it doesn't look like anything else Pokemon. It's got fights in it, but it's not narratively about the fights. It's about the journey part, which seems strangely not Pokemon show. It's more Pokemon game, but it's also not Pokemon game there. It's different than both. And its narrative is completely tied into the fact that Pokemon are reality warping crazy things that can literally ignore the laws of physics and cause massive property damage at a whim which is something Pokemon never bothers to deal with most of the time. <laughs> I mean, we see buildings destroy. We see these things flip an entire bulldozer like it's nothing and almost crush a guy. There's a lot more like imminent danger and imminent active destruction than in any other, than in most other Pokemon properties. This is one of those instances where the big fight doesn't happen in the abandoned warehouse district. It happens in the middle of town. They do really finally acknowledge the strange and tremendous energy and power that is bound up in these cute little weird things. And it it adds a certain level of, of fear. It makes Pokemon scary in a way that they're usually not allowed to be, even though they should be if you think about them. The unknown in the games are a bunch of, are, are 26, actually, they've added exclamation point and question mark, <laughs> unknown, so there's a few more, but they're just the letters, and they can only learn one move, and they're not very strong. They're not worth much except for collectors, like me, or people who want to spell out messages in a Pokemon box. In the game, they're not doing much. If this is the time, if this is the thing you see the unknown in, you will think they are the scariest things in all of Pokemon lore. And that is really cool. And I could dive very deep right now into metaphors about the power of language and of expression and or the power of, of written chronicles, which again goes back to the Dunwich Horror and the Necronomicon. 
Oh, yeah. And it's interesting to see a Japanese property that's using Roman characters as the creepy mystical thing. It's like, this. these things can just spell out words that the English audience would completely know, but for the Japanese audience, there's a definite more... Like, this is separated. This is something they interact with, they've seen, they know it from products and packaging, and it's popular enough. But it's not the general text you'd see on most things. And that's weird and interesting and kind of cool to see this. There's a lot of American properties I can think of that would use other languages or use like Latin or something like that as the creepy mystical thing. This is English used as the creepy mystical other language. Yeah. How often are Chinese characters of one kind or another used to mean that this is exotic and strange and maybe magical? I mean, there's a reason why the shop in in uh, Gremlins is run by an old Chinese guy, and there's lots of Chinese writing around. Yeah, it is weird that he's digging up a Scrabble set out of something that kind of looks like a pyramid, but it's magical Scrabble as dangerous artifact. I want those tiles. I oh, want, is, I want to make those. Is there a Scrabble set using those as the art design? There I've should gotta, be. I've got to find that. That would be brilliant. That would be great. Oh, yeah. I don't think they've done the numbers. They've just done the letters. It'd be interesting if they did numbers as well. Yeah. Well, someone must have made a font. Oh, yeah. There's definitely font packs of the unknown. If you want something that looks like Comic Stands that can stare back at you. <laughs> You stare too long into Comic Sans. Comic Sans stares back into you. Yes. The unknown is distinctly sans serif. I think we're approaching our final questions, aren't we? I think we're approaching our final questions. And the first one is screen or no screen? Should people watch Pokemon the third movie? Screen. Screen. Absolutely. If you have any interest in, in Pokemon or even kind of what was going on in culture at the time this was made. Yeah, spend an hour and a half and watch this. It holds up as a movie, and it's full of lots of fun, interesting things, specifically about the Pokemon properties. There's just enough of that weird horror element. I feel like you could throw this into a, like, a we're going to watch a bunch of horror films, like, in the background during a party thing. Throw it in in the middle as a weird palate cleanser, and... If you prime everyone for just how weird this is, with the right other things in front of and after it, you can really mess with some people's heads in the best way. (laughs) Because this is a Pokemon movie on the surface. This is a Lovecraft story on the engine. And I I think that's something people need to note. That really works. I'm glad that you got this on DVD so we can watch it again sometime. But I could imagine some fun, creative uh, programming person on Shudder Deciding to license this movie for a month and add it to the Shutter lineup. Exactly. The second question's a little weirder, because it's more relevant right now than it was before, mm-hmm. which is revive, reboot, or rest in peace. And we'd mentioned Pokemon the first movie. Just recently, they remade Pokemon the first movie, actually. Like a, a top-to-bottom remake? Top-to-bottom CGI remake. Same script? Most of the same script, slightly oh. edited. That's kind disappointing. Of, yeah, kind of updated for the American, uh, the, the, the current state of the anime, and giving the American release some of the darker parts of the lore elements that were stripped out of the American release of it. Because the first Pokemon movie was actually way darker and creepier in Japan. And they decided to scrub it down for the American release. Oh. So I think our Patreon, we might do a Patreon thing where I show you the missing bits or explain to you the missing lore if you thought the first one was weird. Because I think you might find it even weirder after. Maybe. I could almost see that being why the first movie just seemed so hollow to me, where it had this kind of violence and negativity and a thin veneer trying to hide it, but there was no substance there. Yeah, they give, an, they give a reason why the first movie was angsty. And it always seems to me that some of the things they were hinting around in the first movie, they did a good job with in the Detective Pikachu movie. 
Yes. Kind of the 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 sinister implications of some of the lore around Pokemon, some of which they tried to get into and never really earned in the first movie, they really succeeded with in the Detective Pikachu movie. Oh yeah, and that's that's the other thing about trying to discuss if we're reviving or rebooting Pokemon and such. Pokemon's still going. When when this movie came out, there was a hundred and fifty, and they just introduced like a hundred more, not including. The numerous alternate forms, there's closing on a thousand Pokemon now. Wow. There is new game, there's remakes of the games coming out at the end of this year, and I don't even have to state which year it is. That's always going to be happening. (laughs) And there's a new game coming the year after that, which is also always happening. The Pokemon franchise has just gained momentum and speed since this came out. This was during its the end of its pop culture height in the the 90s and aughts where it was the juggernaut, but it just hasn't stopped. It became a constant background level since then. So the engine is there to remake it. It's constantly revived. So trying to figure out what we're doing with the third movie on its own is a little interesting. And this is a problem we run into with with a number of things that I'm trying to figure out. Is there a way into our usual question for this movie? With Superman, for example, we watched the 1978 Superman movie and we had to acknowledge it's pointless to talk about reviving or rebooting Superman because that's constant and it's been happening for almost 100 years. So we focused that into the... 1978 Richard Donner directed movie Superman. Should that be revived in there being more stories in its continuity or that rebooted as in a new Superman movie with the same kind of approach? Can we do something like that with this Pokemon movie? Because I suppose in theory, any story with Ash is in the same continuity as this. But is there room for another story that recognizes or addresses or deals with the events of this uh, Pokemon 3? I kind of think there might be. And it's if we don't follow Ash, but if we follow the dad. Hmm. We've got a Pokemon archaeologist who was good enough to find his way into the place where the thing he was looking for lived and just wasn't prepared for having done so. Maybe there's a story of his other adventures. They've they've dabbled in the past with doing non-Ash-centric World of Pokemon things, and by not making them Ash-centric, they could play a little bit more with how dramatic or how dark or how serious they took themselves. But I think they could have something for the older audience. The you grew up with Pokemon when you were in your uh when you were a kid in school, but you're now a late twenties something person who's just had Pokemon around. Where's the serious story? Where's the more Indiana Jones or the the dramatic stories of the danger Pokemon can pose. And Molly may be a perfect character for that, too. We've got the suggestion already that the dream that she had when she was in the Crystal Tower or whatever structure it was, the dream she had of, I can be a Pokemon trainer when I get older, we've got every suggestion that she's working towards that, but in a real way, not a magical shortcut way. So maybe there's something with an older Molly who's now an accomplished Pokemon trainer and maybe her her older but still working parents who are still archaeologists and whatever the mom did. And they, the three of them, somehow get involved in some kind of adventure. Maybe it involves the unknown again. When this movie came out, in the games, there was only one place the unknown ever appeared. They were really hard and rare to find, and they were these super strange things we didn't know. They were unknown. (gasps) Since then, the games have had to include place after place after place where you can find them. 
because they need a place for you to catch them because you must catch them all. It is, is compulsory. It is compulsory. You must catch them all. I followed the listen and listened well. <laughs> oh, goodness. I followed and listened well to that claim. <laughs> but anyway, they've introduced the unknown a lot of other places. They've introduced new unknown since then to let you ask questions and be excited in unknown text. Things like that. I want to see a story with an older Molly then who runs into an unknown in one of these many other places and give us a story about how that's going to be really traumatic for a moment. She would remember them. Do they remember her, her? in some way? Yeah. And then Do they you, still have a connection that she wasn't aware of. You could have an entire story with unknown and her with an unknown joining Molly as a partner Pokemon and she goes off and explores and meets other things even. You could have some weirdness there and fun. I don't know why that's now starting to sound like Death Note. It You've kind got of this weird, dark, negative, dark, powerful being looking over the shoulder of a young person. You get you get one lost unknown who isn't part of the psychic collective, <laughs> but it's like I recognize you. We remember you. Oh. Just like, oh no, I'm doing an escort mission now, and I don't like it. <laughs> Hi. Just, I'm going to help exclamation point here, get home, and then I'm never talking to you guys again, is a story they could do. And I kind oh goodness, I hadn't even thought of that when we started this episode, but you suggesting older Molly, I love this idea. I want this now. But I want, I want a Pokemon film, or Pokemon story in some form, that can deal with how traumatic the movies are. Sounds to me like we want a revival. We, we want, want a revival, I guess, yeah. We want a later in time, uh, a sufficiently distant sequel. Superman is able to always be a story that can kind of select how old its audience is targeting. It can, it can play around with that. And it can reinvent itself for different times. Pokemon runs into the issue of the fact that it was such a kid's property early on that it has a hard time ever not being one now. And I don't think they're trying to a lot because they've found where the money is and the money is where they are. But I think that there's a lot of things they could do that they aren't. And I'm hoping at some point they figure out that they could do that and that there is an audience there who would support that once they get that content. And that makes sense because kind of the straightforward central motifs of Pokemon they are crafted to be targeted at kids, little kids of a certain age. It's essentially collecting stuffed animals and playing games with them. But the fact that they've now, especially in movies like this one, established a bigger and more complex world, you don't have to limit yourself to those stories. So just like I keep coming back to uh, Detective Pikachu, that that was in some ways a proof of concept that you can go beyond the standard Pokemon. Uh, structure in this world we could definitely see that with uh, a sequel to this movie we were we were told when we were the audience for it that uh we uh, that the kids like me were going to be the trainers and then eventually we would become the gym leaders and the townsfolk and the professors and i've got my lab coat upstairs because of that <laughs> but there's not a lot of stories now about the people those trainers have become alongside their audience so Maybe that's where there's something to be found. I hope so. Hopefully. I hope so. Well, thank you for joining us in this episode and this deep dive into something that just devoured more of my mind than I expected. Pokemon, <laughs> I still play all the games and such, so I'd love to hear about what you as the audience, what your relation to this brand might be, and if you think third is a good movie or if there's another one that stuck with you more i haven't seen a lot of the later ones but there's like 20 of them oh wow yeah there's a lot of pokemon movies or did you like the first pokemon movie better than i did if you if you did you think i missed something uh, let me know so in the meantime dad where can they find you online oh you can find me um you can find me most places as by matthew porter so you can go to by but you can also find me on twitch as by matthew porter on twitter by matthew porter or youtube uh, by matthew porter and Ian, where can people find you? I can be found online as Item Crafting on Twitter and Item Crafting Live on Twitch and at itemcrafting.com. And you can find the podcast at immproject.com. That's where you'll find all of our back episodes, 
Also a link to our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there or on the contact page that's also on that website. You'll see a link to our Twitter and you'll also see a link to our shop and a link to our Patreon. Thank you very much for anybody who's able to support us there. And if you can't support us there, we just really appreciate your continuing to listen and letting your friends know about it. And we'll be back in about two weeks with my dad taking back over and showing me more media from the 20th century. And so, in the meantime, go find something old to watch. <laughs>